We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, about where he's been, where he's going, and all of that kind of stuff. So I hope you enjoy listening to, to the four experts. They're all absolutely fantastic to speak to. And my thanks to those four guys for giving up the time to speak to you, the True Faith listeners. If you like the interviews, I've got the full unedited version of each interview with each interviewee on our Patreon platform, which is £6.60 a month for about 30 additional Newcastle United podcasts every single month as we build up to one of the most exciting seasons in memory. So I'll stop talking. Uh, I'm going to leave you with the guys. I started by asking Pedro um, basically where Bruno came from, what football club he was with in Brazil, and how his career developed. Enjoy. My name is Pedro Brienza. I am editor-in-chief of Peleja. There is a YouTube channel and a media group uh, focused in football documentaries and uh, fan culture in Brazil and all parts of the world. Atlético Paranaense is a regional club, but it, it, it stands right now among the biggest clubs in Brazil. It's a rising club. It's getting some money. They get a very, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to put this, but they, they're, they're growing in the Brazilian scenario. Atlético Paranaense, they got like this, they, they peaked at the early 2000s where they won the Brazilian championship. But in the recent years, they're like evolving young players and trying to m turn the, the club in a big company, in a big business. But it's still, it's not a, it's not, a, they, they don't have an owner, but they have like a, a president, the same president for a long time, the same political group for a long time. And they are investing in the new stadium, the young players, the, the academy. So Atlético is like a rising club in Brazil, but it's a regional one. They are, they are very famous in their state. Brazil has like <clears throat> more than 20 states. It's a gigantic country. And Bruno was a very big sale in 2019, I think. And Atlético Paranaense was, uh, well, I, I think was like the biggest sale of all time from Atlético Paranaense for to any club. In Brazil, fees to up to 15 million euros is a very big deal for a club um, in like, in, in, in the inside market, this never happens. And this kind of value in exchange of players never happens. Uh, it's always to Europe or China some some years ago. But for, for it's it's helped Atlético Paranaense with, the, with their project of getting big a bigger club, uh, getting a better academy, getting some better young players. So it's just part of the process of the, some a lot of Brazilian clubs to. To, to start to, to try to compete in international level uh, 
like uh, abroad, not just in South America. So Athletic Paranaense like reinvested all this money in their own academy, in their own stadium, not in other players. So we, it was a big deal for the project. So this this kind of value is not common in Brazil. Uh, it it seems it, it it is because every season has have some motor kid like say like for Real Madrid and stuff, but it was a big a huge deal for a club as Atlético Paranaense. Yeah. So my name is uh, Peter Pankowski. It's a pleasure to meet you all. What I do is I work in the league analysis department of Football Radar, which is in terms my league has been mainly Brazil Serie B, but also my sole interest has pretty much been Brazil a lot of the time. So I've been watching Serie A football as well. Well, to be honest, at first I was I was a little skeptical, but when I managed to watch him in uh, the Sudamericana, he was actually, what caught my eye is that he, you have this player who was actually really complex. So right now I think uh, he's not exactly the, the, he was playing more of a six slash eight hybrid in terms of position. I'm pretty sure he doesn't play that for Newcastle right now, right? There's Joel Linton and someone else behind him in terms of tactical scheme. But in Brazil, he had to play that because of his work rate. And I think that's where his actually immense work rate has come from. Because you see this young 20-year-old kid. And at the same time, he's got technical and brilliance and elegance on the ball. He's able to keep the ball on the possession. Has various amounts of like a array of passing ability and at the same time you see him start running like basically like crazy trying to to hate aid this team and defense defense every single time like, the team's on down on a counter-attack or anything like that which for brazilian fans that's exceptional because they do love work rate they do love someone who shows passion and is able to help as much as he can and i don't think it's just passion in itself is just they do like a work rate uh that work rate type midfielder that can inf impact like both phases of the game and when i started watching him up close be it via highlights because we have access to different games even recorded games um and catching as much live games as i possibly could because of like the late timeline um I was I was really impressed. I thought he was. I wasn't sure he was going to make a jump like say Vinicius Junior or Rodrigo or someone else who jumped straight to um, Real Madrid or say a Liverpool or something like that. But I was I, I thought Leon fit in perfectly. I was hoping we, Chelsea would get him to be honest, but they made Mateo Kovacic's move permanent, and I, I was certain he was going to move to Europe. I wasn't exactly certain where, but I think Leon fit in perfectly at the time. Uh, my name's Andy Brassel. I'm a European football journalist and I work primarily with the Football Ramble, uh, TalkSport and The Guardian. Well, I, I guess when Bruno turned up, um, they had a kind of lapsed relationship with Brazil, Leon. And, you know, it's something that um, fired the imagination of the supporters um, when they were coming, the, the biggest team in France at, at the start of the 21st century. Um, it all goes back, really, to uh, two things. Uh, the, the reason that you have this relationship um, between um, Leon and Brazil. Um, firstly, you have um, Marcelo, who used to play for Leon, not not the one who recently left um, for for Bordeaux, but um, previous Marcelo. He um, 
stayed in touch with Leon uh, once he left. He did some scouting for the club over there and um, started to bring players over. Now, th- this sort of accelerated after the arrival of uh, Sonny Anderson, um, who had already uh, succeeded in uh, the French League for, for Monaco, was at Barcelona, and he was the first really big Leon signing at, at the end of the 90s with money coming in from uh, the Pathé Film Group who owned part of the club. Um, and, and Sonny Anderson was, was such an influential player. I, I think sometimes it's forgotten how big Sonny Anderson was, not just in a French context, but in a European context. You know, um, classic number nine, great goal scorer. And I guess uh, quite a long way from what people would think of as being a, a typical Brazilian footballer, if, if, if you like, just hungry for goals. And that was it. And he turned scoring goals into an absolute art form. People loved him. Um, and it's interesting, you know, the thing that um, Thierry Henry does with like rolling his socks up over his knees and people think Thierry Henry introduced that to school children. Well, Sonny Anderson introduced that to Thierry Henry. So Henry did everything he could to, to copy Sonny Anderson in training when he was a kid at Monaco. Um, he absolutely worshipped him. And um, that, that is, I suppose, um, a little allegory of how influential Sonny Anderson was within the game. Um, he was part of that Leon side that started winning stuff. Um, as were Janinho, um, who came over um, as, as they started to um, seriously go for the title. And, and Claudio Casapa, of course, who Newcastle fans know pretty well and who, who is still at Lyon, actually, as, as assistant coach to, to Peter Bosch, having been defensive coach there before. It was always clear that he would go back to, to Lyon after he packed in his career as a, as a player as well. And, you know, I guess it's like any sort of enclave of um, overseas players at a club. Success breeds success. So as Juninho, Casapa became leaders, uh, later on you've got Chris, you've got, um, who's, who's terrific for them at centre-back, um, you've got Fred, um, you've got so many uh, Brazilian players who were really, really important to, to Leon. But I think the interesting thing is after Juninho left and, I guess we get to about 2008, 2009, his legs really start to go, even though he is the greatest free kick taker of all time, in in my opinion. You know, I think you look at Beckham, Roberto Carlos, they have a certain type of free kick. Janino could do it all. You know, the curler, um, the daisy cutter, knuckleball, everything. I mean, he, he went and um, studied taking free kicks with... Um, to lose rugby club at some point to, to, to work out how their kickers kick the ball just so he could figure out a, another string to his bow, really. Um, he had a, a sort of godlike status there. I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that. I know that tends to be a cliche, but it's genuinely the case uh, with Janino. And they wanted him to come back as coach. He, he never had the right diplomas. And eventually they appointed him as sporting director with very mixed success. I think it's fair to say um, he left last winter. And again, that's part of the Bruno Guimarães story. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but um, Juninho relit the flame for um, Leon and Brazil because obviously he's a player with enormous history um, 
with Brazilian football and the Brazilian national team to a lesser extent as well. He was sort of a, a jack of all trades rather than an outstanding player in um, various Brazil sides, but a, enormous amount of um, respect. Someone who speaks really intelligently on a number of issues. One of, one of the few footballers, Janinho, actually, to to stand up to Bolsonaro and his government, which I think is quite interesting as, as, as well. He's a very much of the people kind of guy. And um, when it came to bringing in Bruno Guimaraes, um, a, a lot went wrong for Leon as, uh, for Janinho as a sporting director, mainly because he hadn't done the job before. He didn't really know what he was doing. And um, Jean-Michel Olas, the president, hoped to hand over everything to him. Um, he wasn't really ready for it, and he had to come back and help him out. But what he was good at, of course, is bringing in top-quality Brazilian players because Bruno, for example, when it got to the end of 2019, start of 2020, he had a choice. And it seemed like quite an obvious choice because he could have gone to Atletico Madrid under Diego Simeone. He could have gone to, to Leon, And there is no doubt that without Janinho, the Bruno Guimaraes to Leon deal doesn't happen. Now, I think as well, you see a little glimpse of the intelligence that Bruno has here. Because Janinho um, clicks with him and gets him to see what he could do there. Um, there's a bit less of a sense of can he become an important first-team player straight away at Atletico Madrid. On the other hand... Um, Bruno is someone who has a plan for how he's going to do stuff. He has a plan for how he's going to map out his career. And not only is Janino able to click into this and, and relate to him and say, look, this, this is what you're going to be. Look at all the Brazilian players who've succeeded here before. This is the role you're going to have in the team. And in fact, he, he went as far as to say with Luca Toussaint, um, very highly rated um, defensive midfielder at the time. He says, basically, he said publicly, Janinho, which didn't go down too well with Toussaint, is we need a defensive midfielder who's better on the ball. And that is you. Basically, that player is is you. And I think Bruno looked at it and he thought, this is the place where I can really make an impact on European football straight away. And funnily enough, I think he probably applies the same criteria to when he moves to Newcastle because I think a lot of people look at that and think it's not an obvious move. He's been linked with Arsenal, um, other clubs in the, in the top bracket of, of, of the Premier League. But Newcastle realise what Bruno wants. He realises what he wants. And that's why it's such a, a great success straight away because he hit the ground running and, and then some at at Leon, and um, obviously he's done the done the same in the northeast as well. Uh, I'm Chris Woff. I'm Newcastle United correspondent for the Athletic. Well, Br Bruno Gomes was someone who I'd heard that Newcastle had liked for, for quite a while, but that is along with a lot of other players. I'm not saying that when it was coming into the start of January that I thought that Newcastle would end the window by signing him, and but but as the the year sort of turned from December into January. The message we were getting was that Newcastle had found someone they thought as quote unquote number six plus is what I was told. Someone who would be an excellent sort of in theory defensive midfielder, but also had everything to be a, a, a potentially a number eight as well. And it was difficult to find out who that was for the first few weeks in January. I knew they were looking at Eve Basuma, but I knew that wasn't exactly the same sort of player. I knew they were looking at a few others. Um, and his name sort of popped up a few times, but actually we it was 
first report in France when we found out at this end um, and then checked it out that, that he was definitely the one that they wanted. And it progressed relatively quickly from that stage, but he's someone who, as I say, Newcastle scouts had looked at for a long, long time. Um, his numbers are just were so ridiculous in so many ways in terms of he was really good at everything, as you've subsequently seen at Newcastle. And so he pops up in so many sort of data radars, that, that not just at Newcastle, but loads of other clubs. And so many had looked at him. Obviously, Arsenal had been linked for a long, long while. But it was really Newcastle decided to make the move after they'd gone to, to Jeddah for their mid-season training camp. And they had a sort of summit between Al Ramain was there, uh, Yasser Al Ramain, the chairman, then so was Stavely and Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall, who basically formed really the majority of the uh, transfer cabinet, if you want to call it that, or committee in, in January. And Al Ramayan gave them basically the go-ahead to go and spend the money and they decided they were going to go and try and, and pursue Bruno and bring him in as, as the one difference to the rest of what they did in January. The rest of what they did in January was sign players with proven Premier League experience, most of whom were late 20s who would make an immediate impact. With Bruno Gimresh, it was a bit more of a... Calculate a gamble, but it was a gamble as to how he would make an impact mid-season coming to the Premier League. What we do know is that Steve Nixon, the head of recruitment at Newcastle United, has headed to Brazil to finalise this deal for Bruno Guimarães. Breaking news, and uh, we're hearing Newcastle have agreed a fee with Lyon for the midfielder Bruno Guimarães. The, we understand the deal is in the region of £30 million. Pounds. Uh, the Brazilian international will undergo a medical in his homeland, hopefully today. Mega, mega breaking, haven't we? Because Newcastle United have finally announced that they have signed Bruno Guimaraes. Fantastic news. player that has so much potential, so much ability. I can guarantee Newcastle fans will be excited when they watch this man in the Premier League this season. He is absolutely the real deal. At 24 years old as well, we know that there's a significant investment from Newcastle. Newcastle United landed a player who was much sought after uh, across European football. So I asked Peter if he was surprised that relegation threatened Newcastle United was where Bruno ended up. I wouldn't say so, to be honest. I, I thought when the deal was struck, I think it was Athletic who reported it. And I was I was honestly surprised. I, I thought Arsenal were going to get him because I saw like many links. I wasn't surprised. I was. I wouldn't say. To me, Bruno has always struck me because he's one of those players that he doesn't. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Stats don't do him good. They don't do him justice. Like some people, you know how their football is that, for example, if I have to go or buy a sprout, Eden Hazard wasn't exactly a stats type person. I can argue that with anybody because stats never really did him justice. And Bruno is the same because the technical elegance that he has on the ball, the things that he does, the, one, the way he's managed to orchestrate pretty much the Newcastle midfield. Ironically, the game versus Arsenal where they were battling for top four just before the season ended, that was one of his, I reckon, his best games because he just looked so good. And honestly, when I've seen, as I said, I couldn't name you right now, like particular games where I've seen him where he's played at this level. I'm not exactly the biggest uh, League One fan. So I, I've watched, I watch a lot of football. I don't know how my wife loves me still, <laughs> but um, watching pretty much bits of him at Lyon, a lot of Bra a lot more Brazil football, Brazilian football. I've I've always thought that he's his stats don't paint the full picture with. Um, I think people are sad that he went because he was a, he was a popular person as as well as a, a very valued player. I think people knew he would move on at the moment. A lot of people were surprised it was Newcastle, to be perfectly honest. Um, but in keeping with the way they did their business in January, they got it done quickly, smartly, quite fairly in, in terms of what they offered. I know a lot of people thought it was on the high side, but um, I think history can sort of be rewritten. People don't talk about that anymore because he's been so good. I don't think anyone's really quibbling about the the fee anymore, but I know there were some people who thought it was a bit on the high side at at, at first. Um, Newcastle did their homework and they, they knew what they were getting. Um, yeah, that, Leon fans and um, people who cover the club, um, people who know French football knew he would go at some point. Um, they were a little surprised it was Newcastle. Not surprised necessarily that it was the Premier League because um, it was it was clear that he was... He was going all the way to the top. But as we've seen, not just from the way he's played, but from the way he's spoken about the club, he's you know unashamedly ambitious in, in terms of what he expects Newcastle to, to do next. I think retrospectively, it's maybe a better fit than a lot of people thought it was at the time. Bruno is in the best form of his career. He's never played so well. He's never been so decisive. He never scored that much goals in his whole career. And they're seen like, but they, as they see Newcastle, not uh, playing the Champions League, not playing against the biggest club in Europe. They, they, he's like, okay, he's a good player in a medium team. He's not the, a good player as in, in the best ones. So we are seeing Bruno as a very good prospect. In the future, he'll be very well. And I, I personally like him a lot. When I've talked with Norman in January, I think he said to me, man, you were selling me like the next Kaka. I said to him, I don't know if he would be like the next Kaka, but he's a very talented player. He's a, he, he's a modern player. He, he can he defend well, he attacks well. He's, he's a participative, uh, participative in the game. He touched the balls every time. He's, he's, 
He's ha have very good positioning in the attack, so I, I'm I'm a fan of Bruno football. Well, there's always been a sort of confidence, a self confidence with it within the club since the takeover that things will be all right eventually, and we're making the right decisions for the right reasons. And so, in that sense, I don't think that they did hesitate too much in terms of making the signing happen, but. There was there was also a realization that if Newcastle went down, this was very much going to be a six month signing. That, that that even even if Bruno had come in and hadn't necessarily particularly done anything, he wasn't going to stay and play in the Championship. That they would they were going to have to find a way to move him on this summer. And it was it was interesting that that the midfield was really probably the strongest area of the team in terms of what Howard built in in the second half of of the season. He already had that three of. Uh, Joe Willock, Joe Linton, and John Joe Shelby, who were performing so well. And so they had a little bit of a buffer by, by bringing in Bruno. They wanted a little bit of a different element in midfield, someone who was so good at holding up the ball, someone who could could find a forward pass, which they didn't necessarily have beyond John Joe Shelby's mainly sort of long distance passing. And so it was it, it was worth it as a, it was a risk, but it was a calculated risk. Um and one that they saw if that we can get Bruno in, in January and if we survive, so many more clubs are going to try and sign him in the summer when and, and we think that we will fall further down the queue. If we can front load this, if we can get him early, then we will beat a lot of clubs to him and hopefully he will have an impact in the short term, not just in the summer. And obviously that is subsequent to what he's had. I, I will remember I think it's one of the most astonishing press conferences I've been to when when Bruno was unveiled at St. James's Park because Newcastle was still in the relegation zone, that won two games all season, albeit that that won the most recent match. But Bruno sits in front of everyone, and he's asked, "What? Why? Why have you signed? What is it the owners have said to you?" And he responds by saying that Newcastle are going to be a world power, and that they that the plan is to get into the Champions League regularly and eventually win the Champions League. And it's just it was a we'd heard the owners talk talk big in terms of when they first took over the club, but to actually be selling that vision to the main sign that you make in January, that's when it really sort of hit home for me, sitting there listening to, albeit it was via a translator. But so you first hear him saying this in Portuguese and then the translator then repeats it because you hear him say Champions League, but you're not quite sure exactly what he said. And then the translator brings it through to you. And that was that was just a start. And I think that showed the the self-assurance that, that Bruno has and which he displays on the pitch and which he has everywhere. It, it does borderline border on arrogance but really what it is is just supreme self-confidence in everything he's going to do and he drives standards and you've seen that in Newcastle since he's arrived so I wasn't surprised that when you put the right pieces around him he actually excelled yes because to me it was one of the things that Newcastle lacked because if I have to put it into comparison John Joshelvi isn't exactly named as a creator but I don't think he's exactly what Bruno can do I think Bruno can do much more correct me if I'm wrong I wasn't. I wasn't really surprised that when he, you know, uh, Eddie Howe gave him like uh, this settling in period where he didn't start him right from the start, but with time he just eased him in. And when he eased him in and he adjusted himself and saw English football, he just took off. Rain absolutely pouring down now here at St Mary's. Here comes the corner for Newcastle. Bird wins it. Oh, what a finish! Absolutely spectacular from Bruno Guimaraes. That is quite some way to score your first goal for Newcastle. Impudent. Outstanding. Stunning. I don't have words. It was always my dream to play in Premier League. Uh, Newcastle 
it's all the things for me. I'm so happy for today and always was incredible. I went to be a lens here. Yeah, I enjoy a lot. I enjoy a lot. Uh, here now it's my home. I went to play 100, mil time, 100 times here. <laughs> It's not surprised me that he's played well. Um, two things have surprised me. Um, firstly, I still can't believe that Eddie Howe waited that long to bleed him into the team. I mean, I think you know you remember him coming on in like the last couple of um, minutes in the, in the home game against Everton, and uh, the crowd were absolutely euphoric that night, really. And you know, it's, it was the night where it felt as if everything changed in in Newcastle season. But I was still sitting there thinking, what is he waiting for? You know, especially after, I remember John Joe Shelby making that crazy tackle in the first half that he could have been red carded for. And you're thinking, at some point, he's going he's gonna to send on Bruno to, 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 to cover Shelby because it's, it's risky leaving him on. But, you know, it, it worked for Eddie Howe. You know, he, he, he managed that spell fantastically well. But I think what we saw is when Bruno did get into the team, it, it's like they'd been keeping him in the dark, feeding him on raw meat. He was so ready. He was over ready almost when he when he came in. But I think the other thing that we saw, I mean, he was clearly coming in to fill a need that they had because I think you look at Newcastle in the first half of the, 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 the season, um, they not only look a bit thin in midfield, they look really unathletic in midfield. Uh, and that was a huge problem, I, I think, for the, for the team, especially when you don't have much of the ball and you want to get up the pitch. That is something that he really helps with. And I think the difference is, two differences really, in terms of his position and his role. And as I said to you before, when we were talking about it off air, um, it surprised me how many goals he scored. Absolutely. Because, you know, you think of him scoring one, two goals a season for for Lyon. Um, I think there were two things with that. Firstly, um, that, that need to make the team more athletic. And Joe Ellington made made a huge difference in that sense as well, bringing a bit of athleticism to midfield, enabling them to get up the pitch quickly uh, once they get the ball back um, off the opposition. And, you know, I think Bruno realised if someone's going to go, it's going to be me. Um, I think the other thing is, um, he's used to playing with better players at, at Lyon. Um, I think he made the most of the fact that he had that extra bit of liberty. Whereas at Lyon, he was like a very high-class piano carrier, um, but a piano carrier nevertheless. You know, his job was to get the ball to to Pakita, to Ryan Shirky, to Carl Toko Akambi, to any of those players, really. Um, you know, his job was to, to, to win it and transfer it. Whereas now, I think he really enjoys being the best player in the team is is something that's clearly um, he feels he's off the leash and he's really embraced that. He's really enjoyed showing the other side to, 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 to his, to his skill set. 
what more he can do. And I don't know if that feels like a, a sort of limited time offer for him, really, because as Newcastle progress and, you know, I'm not saying it will be Pakatar, but they'll have other players, I think, that will come in in front of him, which will lead to him minding the shop a, a little bit more. So maybe he's just enjoying it while he can. Of all the things that, that Newcastle expected from Bruno, they didn't expect that many goals. I mean, he, he sort of averages one or two most seasons. He brings so much, but actually goals is, is not something that he he has done a lot of. But he, he's had a bit of a freedom in this Newcastle side in terms of when he has played. He has sometimes played as a number eight. He's sometimes played as a number six, but particularly when he's a, he's, he's a number eight, he, he's given a bit more license to get forward. And I, I think that having someone like Joe Linton in the team liberates so many of the other midfielders in terms of he can cover defensively a lot of that area. He's so physically imposing that Newcastle have that ability to break forward. Joe Willock's been able to do it at times. And then when you've had Bruno doing that. And so he's had a bit of a bit of fortune here and there in terms of, I mean, the Southampton goal is, is, is a one in a million, even for a player of his, of his quality to actually score that goal uh, was astonishing. Obviously, Although he, he pressed well at Norwich, he also just was passed the ball by Tim Krull. Yes, finished it in a wonderful fashion as well. So he's had a he's had a little bit of fortune here and there. But there's also been a desire, and I think that that is shown by that Leicester game. He want he wants to to, to be the man. He, he's thriving in this atmosphere. He loves the fact that he is. Uh, the, the one who is almost leading this sort of revolution at Newcastle, if you want to call it this, this is the beginning of, of the new era. He is the poster boy of that, the poster boy of the future. And he seems to be embracing it and just growing from strength to strength because of that. I don't think that it, it's realistic to assume that he's going to keep scoring at this rate, but I do think that he can score far more frequently than he has done previously because Newcastle are going to give him more opportunities to do that. And, the fact that he can also play comfortably in either the six or the eight role, he can switch between them. He can play as the sitter by himself. He can play in a two there. He could probably play in a couple of other positions if he wanted as well. He is now the first name on the team sheet just about. I don't I don't think that he, he's gone from a period where he first came in and you didn't know when he was going to first get that opportunity because the Newcastle midfield were playing so well and Eddie Howe didn't really disrupt it to now you got the, I remember he left him out at Spurs and Newcastle were awful. And that wasn't just because Bruno was left out of the side, but from that point on, he didn't leave him out the team again. He came on and even in a game when Newcastle were awful, he still tried to make things happen. He still was the one who looked like something was going to happen. And that, the, the goals are just one element of the goals are brilliant and the goals were worth so much. But I actually think that that actually what he's brought in terms of all-round play, that one player who what Newcastle have been so bad at for so many years is they just can't retain possession. And they, when they do retain possession, they can't recycle it forward properly. And he always looks for that forward pass. He uses the ball so well. He uses it cleverly and he can take it in dangerous positions. And that's, for me, far more important than the goals that he's brought. The, the, the goals aren't sustainable, but the rest of the game is. Wilson a short long staff and Cannon Wilson comes down gets there first I wouldn't say they're worse off than certain teams, not even France, who I think who I think are probably one of the best sides, if not the best national team side, pound for pound. 
because it's just so much depth. Like uh, I was, I was talking because I have a colleague who also works in Brazil, on Brazil, uh, worked just today. We were talking about the national team, and they basically have two teams: one that can pretty much win the World Cup, and another that can probably reach the quarterfinals with ease. So that tells you a lot of where right now Brazil are as a national team. The only problem, the only issue they may have that is the fullbacks, and even they aren't that bad because they have like Danilo and Alexandro. Yeah, so ironically, his rival, I think his main rival is actually Fred from uh, Manchester United. And to be honest, he's been actually great for the national team of Brazil. I think he's been one of the best. And the manager likes him a lot. And I think that plays a key role because uh, Chiche is the manager of Brazil. He's He has this thing about favoritism where he prefers certain people in order to keep both a tactical shape and the pecking order himself. So he will never play, for example, two defensive midfielders. So Brazil have Casemiro and Fabinho. He'll never play both at the same time because he wants a pure defensive midfielder, a box-to-box midfielder, and a classic number 10. Whether that is Neymar or Lucas Paqueta, who I think has also been linked to Newcastle, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I think in terms of main competition for Bruno, it's probably Fred. Fred. I don't think that Bruno will be a starting eleven. Uh, I think the, the Fred will be the, the choice from the coach. It's um, it's not what I was talking about. Titi, the co- the coach of the national team, has very had a strong confidence with the players he's working with since 2018 World Cup. He knows Fred for a long time. He's coached him in internet international. It's a it's a big club here in Brazil too. When Fred was a young talent so he followed the all fred career through through the years and i i had the impression that he feels strongly that this cup is the fred world cup and he sees in bruno in bruno like a, a future for the brazilian national team so i don't think he will be in the starting 11. i think fred will, will be bruno would be my choice i prefer bruno playing than fred a lot of brazilians do too. Uh, the Brazilian, the Brazilian fans doesn't like Fred because he left Brazil so young and he won't want anything for international. International was a, a good team, but Fred wasn't a, a big star in international. Bruno was different. He was a champion here in Atlético Paranaense. All Brazilians saw him winning a trophy, win, winning a very a very important trophy in Brazil. They do have other options in that position, but he definitely has a chance of starting and. The way he's played in the Premier League um, has, has made a massive difference to that. You know, his, if, if his idea at the start was one of the pluses from me moving to Newcastle United in the Premier League will be to get me in the starting 11 for, for Qatar, it's, it's a gamble that has spectacularly come off so far. It's worked really well um, because he's been able to show, as I said before, the full gamut of his, of his talents. The, the fact that he's he's not just a holder, that he can break into the box as well, um, but that he can be trusted in possession. He can be trust not to, trusted not to dash out of his post. It seems like, speaking to people who know in Brazil, that um, the main competition is uh, Fred of Manchester United, who I know a lot of people will shrug their shoulders at that, but he's been good for Brazil. You know, there's no getting around it. Um, he's been very, very good for them. Now, funnily enough, there's maybe a link between him and Bruno in that one criticism of both of them 
at home is that they were a little bit one-footed. Um, Bruno with the, the right, Fred with the, the left. And that can always be a bit of an issue for a defensive midfielder, I think. But Bruno has clearly really worked on that. And I think if you look at the, the margin of progression, I mean, it's been an astonishing couple of months for him. Um, then you add in the fact that he's going to have pre-season, Newcastle are going to have a better team, not have to try and fight their way out of a relegation scrap, hopefully from their perspective um, in, in, the, in the first half of next season. It gives him everything he needs to make that final push towards the 11. Now, where Fred sits with Eric Ten Hag coming in, no one knows, do they? Because, you know, if I get Frankie de Jong in, maybe they'll reshape the midfield. It was clearly a, an issue for Manchester United this season. And whether he's seen as part of the problem or part of the solution, it's kind of 50-50, really, because obviously a lot of people think Manchester United um, could do with some better players in, in, in that area. So I think even though Fred is probably just about the man in possession at the moment, there's not a lot in it. And Bruno is in a really good position to push in the first three months of this season to get himself in that 11 when the World Cup starts in November. Thanks so much for listening for True Faith's Bruno Guimaraes podcast. Fantastic interviews. I'm sure you'll agree from all four of our guests talking about the player. What a season we'll have coming up at Newcastle United. Massive season for Bruno. Massive season for Newcastle United. If you've enjoyed these conversations, the full audio, uh, the non-cut interviews with each individual are on our Patreon platform right now. You can get all of those podcasts plus about 30 to 40 extra Newcastle United podcasts every single month for just £6.60. Come and join us. Link in the description to this podcast podcast and it keeps this podcast this free podcast going uh thanks everyone for listening uh we'll be back with another free podcast next week as we've committed to producing at least one free podcast every single week throughout the close season can't wait for the season to get started thanks for listening i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.